What was significant about Jesus as a teacher? What was he getting at in his teachings? What implications does that have for us? Hi, I'm Dennis Metzler, and you're listening to The Charge. Today we are looking at Jesus as teacher, but before we understand Jesus as a teacher, we need to understand him as a learner, as a student. From an early age, Jesus must have been fascinated with the world around him, how things worked, how life worked, and why people did what they did. Even as a child, he was developing instincts and insights regarding the nature of the human heart, relationships, and especially the words and works of the God of Israel. Like other Jewish males of his time, Jesus would have had training in an elementary school system, unique for its time, in which youth were taught reading and writing from the Holy Scriptures, usually by the person who oversaw synagogue activities. Through school and synagogue, he must have learned large sections of the Old Testament by heart. In Luke 2.41, we see 12-year-old Jesus so eager to learn that without parental permission, he secretly stays behind in Jerusalem to discuss scripture and theology with the teachers at the temple. He thoroughly impresses them with his knowledge and understanding. When we later hear the teachings and parables of Jesus, it is obvious that he spent his years engaged in keen observation of so many areas of life. This lent to his ability to apply theological truths to everything, from the religion of his people, to farming, economics, political and military realities, marriage, culture, and the oppression of his people. He was undoubtedly possessed with a great sense of wonder about all of life, as well as a core humility to give him such a depth of understanding. Most of all, Jesus worshiped and served the creator of the universe. Out of the unparalleled depths of this unique and intimate relationship, Jesus continually listened and learned. In Jesus' day, every adult Jewish male could take part in the worship service by leading in prayer and scripture reading, as well as by giving an interpretation of the scripture. In the synagogues, adult males had access to at least the most important scrolls of scripture for making preparations for the worship service. These scrolls were the Torah, that is, Genesis through Deuteronomy, plus Isaiah and the Psalms. It was therefore natural for Jesus to teach in the framework of the synagogue, both through the interpretation of Sabbath readings from the law and prophets in conjunction with preparation for the worship service. Many scholars believe Jesus had no formal training beyond that of all Jewish males. The following passage from John 7:14 through 15 is key evidence. When the feast was half over, Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. Then the Jewish leaders were astonished and said, How does this man know so much when he has never had formal instruction? Although he apparently received no formal academic training like the scribes and teachers of the law, Jesus was nonetheless accepted as a discussion partner by other scribes. Still, Jesus must have had some means of studying the scriptures with far more depth and detail than he would have gotten with the typical elementary education that he shared with other Jewish males. We really don't want to say he knew the scriptures so well because he was God and therefore the author of scripture. That would make a mockery of his humanity. Above all, Jesus teaches with messianic authority. 
All that Jesus taught was with greater authority than Moses or any other prophet. He spoke with the authority not only of Scripture, but as the Messiah, the anointed King of Israel, the very Son of God. In Matthew 7 it reads, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus' teachings came out of an understanding thoroughly immersed in the Scriptures, thoroughly acquainted with the culture and plight of his people and the world beyond, and thoroughly empowered by God's presence. All this together was essential in understanding his idea of purpose and mission. Everything he taught was in light of his message to bring about the kingdom of God in the fullness of shalom for every area of life. Jesus made it clear that he didn't want to get rid of or oppose the teachings of the Law and Prophets. Rather, he came to fulfill them. That is, he came to create the new reality, the new shalom-saturated creation that the Law and Prophets ultimately pointed towards. The Law and Prophets considered every facet of life. Therefore, Christ came to transform everything. Yet, Jesus clearly understood how easily the law could be used to enslave people. He came to set people free and live the life the law was actually intended to create. He boldly proclaimed, Humanity was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for humanity. Jesus' teaching had a profound effect on people. His teaching at first enamored his hometown congregation, but quickly got them so upset they tried to kill him, all in just one sermon. Jesus often taught in indirect, highly figurative, and confusing ways. In the Gospels, Jesus was questioned dozens of times, but only responded with a direct answer a few times. He didn't seem to be interested in giving the most clear, accurate, and thorough explanation for each issue or question. His way of teaching forced people to think and reason at a deeper level, or perhaps dismiss him altogether. In his teachings, Jesus regularly verbally attacked not only false teachings, but also attacked false teachers, even when he knew they were trying to kill him. And Jesus taught by example. He came not just as the proclaimer, but also as the demonstrator. Jesus taught his disciples how to cast out demons, but even more, he exercised them with unstoppable force. Jesus explained how to heal the sick, but even more, he actually brought physical wholeness to people over and over again. Jesus taught his followers to preach, but even more, he gave them the example of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave the disciples lessons in prayer, but even more, he spent long hours alone with the Father in intimate communion. Jesus taught the disciples how to confront evil, but even more, he forcefully defied corrupt religious leaders. Finally, Jesus taught his followers to deny themselves, but even more, he gave them the ultimate example, his own death on a Roman cross. If we're going to talk about Jesus as teacher, then we need to talk more specifically about the things that Jesus taught. The topic that Jesus talks about most is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God could also be designated as the domain, dominion, rule, realm, or reign of God. Here are several of the key characteristics of the kingdom of God according to the teachings of Jesus. The kingdom of God originates in heaven, but exists on earth. The kingdom was made manifest in Christ through his first coming, 
but it will be experienced only in fullness when he comes again. The kingdom starts small, but grows where and when you don't expect it. The pursuit of the kingdom is worth all our effort and everything we have. The kingdom includes all areas of life. God is Lord of the whole universe. The kingdom of God does not conform to the standards of the kingdoms of this world. That is, the kingdoms of this world use the threat of subjugation and death to further their domestic and foreign policies. The kingdom of God offers the hope of freedom and eternal life to bring transformation to individuals and societies. Therefore, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of forgiveness. The kingdom is a place of virtue and righteousness, not sin. The kingdom is a place where peace is the alternative to violence. The kingdom is a place where God lifts up the poor and powerless and brings down the rich and powerful. The kingdom is a place of prosperity, but through the sharing of resources, not the amassing of wealth. We say, of course, all those things about the kingdom of God are true, and the kingdom does come first. That is what we order our lives by. But the fact of the matter is that we so easily order our lives by my career, or my life in school, or my starting a nonprofit, or my wife and kids, or even my church. But the common element in each of these is my, my, my. We can understandably get so caught up in those good and valuable things, but we need to repent and let Christ and his kingdom be the first central and absolute ordering reality of our lives. The kingdom of God sets the groundwork for everything else that Jesus teaches about. Central to how we live in the kingdom is our stance towards God and towards others. This stance can variously be referred to as self-denial, taking up the cross, dying to self, or renunciation. It is our willingness to take up our cross which identifies us as citizens of the kingdom. Jesus' teaching about taking up our own cross or renunciation are some of the hardest sayings in the Bible. As we said earlier, Jesus backed up his teachings with his own actions. He demonstrated what he proclaimed. The willingness of Jesus to die on the cross always needs to stand at the center of our teaching, worship, ethics, and practice. We will take the hardest of Christ's renunciation teachings first, and with that, all the others fall naturally into place. First, Jesus calls us to renounce our own lives. Luke 9:23 through 24 reads, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Wait! I thought the point of Jesus dying on the cross was that he was our substitute. He took the punishment so we don't have to. Why should we have to take up the cross? The person who asked that question has missed the whole point of Jesus' mission. Jesus led by example so that we too would be willing to live the cross-bearing life. It is the cross-bearing life of Jesus and the church that gets the world saved. For Jesus, the cross was both figurative and literal. He, along with many of his followers, literally died on a cross. Figuratively, to take up your cross means to be totally surrendered to the authority and teachings and mission of Christ, regardless of what it might cost you. The way of the cross is to put others' needs before your own. 
The way of peace and prosperity, according to God's kingdom, does not come through training soldiers to kill, but rather through training disciples to die. If someone has to get killed, let it be the follower of Christ. When a ship is going down, Christians are not the first to get in a lifeboat. When there is a shortage of food, believers are not to be the first in the breadline. When disciples of Christ are up for a job promotion, they just might let it pass to someone who needs the money more. This doesn't mean that we try to suffer or always end up in last place or don't pursue excellence or don't accept God's rich provision. It does mean that we always have the freedom to choose the way of suffering, deprivation, and even death for the sake of others. It is impossible to live with this level of freedom, that is, the willingness to suffer, if sin has not been dealt with thoroughly. We must renounce all sin in our lives. Jesus says in Matthew 5:29-30, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. We are to be ruthless with sin. We must meet the severity of sin with the severity of discipline and spiritual warfare. Nothing should be tolerated that dulls our spiritual sensitivity or stands in the way of our relationship with our Lord. Nothing should be allowed to frustrate our kingdom-mandated mission. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with figurative language and general ideas like sin. He targets the substance of our daily existence. He calls us to renounce our money and possessions. In Matthew 19:21, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, If you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In Luke 14:33, Jesus declares to his disciples, in the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his own possessions. To be sure, the expectations regarding money and possessions for those disciples who literally follow Jesus wherever he went are not the same as it is for most of the church. But that certainly doesn't get us off the hook, nor does conventional generosity. I've always been baffled every time I've heard it told about very wealthy people in congregations. They are so generous. But hang on now. They may have given a lot of money, but they are still totally loaded. Tithing is not a license to spend 90% of our money on anything we want to. Jesus calls our attention to the sacrificial giving of the poor widow who gave her last penny, all she had to live on. Shane Claiborne says that we need to measure generosity not by how much we give, but by how much we have left. This should make us all very uncomfortable. If we took the next one seriously, it would cut into the profits of online dating services. Does Jesus call us to renounce marriage and sexual expression? Matthew 19.12 quotes Jesus, For there are some eunuchs who were that way from birth, and some who were made eunuchs by others and some who became eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept this should accept it. Jesus just may be calling us to renounce the family that we don't yet have. 
Paul talks about celibacy in terms of gifting. That is, some people, like Paul, have the gift of being able to live without marriage and therefore be totally committed to the Lord's work. Yet others do not and should get married. However, Jesus seems to be more demanding. Avoid marriage and the sex that comes with it if you can. Are you going to tell the Lord that you have to get married? Are you going to tell the Lord that you simply cannot accept a call into celibacy? That is a hard teaching and many people are running to Paul right now. But, in all fairness, Paul's orientation towards giftedness and Christ's orientation towards ability should be seen as synonymous. Either way, whether married or not, our devotion is to the Lord, His people, and His message. Having a family just means our devotion to God looks different, for certainly whole families can be thoroughly involved in the work and mission of the Lord. If Jesus may call us to renounce family, even before we have it, does he call us to renounce the family that we already have? Jesus' words in Luke 14, 26-27 are quite harsh. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is using exaggerated speech to convey the difference between supreme allegiance to himself as God's anointed compared to any other loyalties, especially family. No one in your family, no matter how close and dearly loved, will be allowed to stand in the way of obeying Christ and serving in his kingdom. But I think it means more than that. Because we are called to place our allegiance to Christ above any commitments to family, community, or nation, people will accuse us of hating our parents and hating our own children. In the scriptures, Jesus raises several issues where we need to practice renunciation and taking up our cross. But what are other areas in our lives where we need to deny ourselves? God calls us to renounce our need to be first. We need to renounce our need to win. We must renounce our need to be right. We even need to renounce our need to be understood. We must renounce our need to impress people. We must renounce our need to be forgiven. The gospel calls us to renounce even our need to have people treat us the way we want to be treated. Now, all the above things that we are called to renounce may end up being good things, and God may gladly give them to us, after all. But, if we hold on to them as an absolute need or right, then we will miss out on the true freedom, love, and power that comes through the way of the cross. Still, the point of living a cross-centered or cruciform life isn't to suffer or even to develop discipline. The point of living a life of self-denial and renunciation is that it creates the possibility of real freedom, love, and shalom. It creates the possibility for forgiveness and the restoration of relationships. It creates the possibility of a single-minded focus on Christ, His gospel, His church, and His mission to the world. And this life that is found in the cross is what makes transformation happen in marriages, in the life of congregations, and even between enemy nations. But surely, this begs a lot of questions. Aren't we supposed to be assertive sometimes? Don't we need to stand up for ourselves? Does God just want us to be doormats? Isn't it okay to punch someone to keep them from stabbing you to death? Don't you need to promote yourself to get a job? Or maybe even a boyfriend? 
Of course, there are practical realities. Of course, we need to read Jesus' demands with wisdom. But that discernment comes through a life of prayer and study in community with the brothers and sisters. Jesus was certainly quite assertive on occasion and ultimately only gave himself over to supreme suffering immediately before the crucifixion. Again, we do not seek out suffering, but we courageously endure it through the Spirit's empowerment when necessary to do God's will. There are other questions. Some feminists like to say that these scriptures on self-denial and bearing the cross are written to men, not women, especially battered women. They are written to the prideful, not the humble. They are written to counteract powerful people who dominate the weak. These feminists say, therefore, do not preach these scriptures to women or other people living at the margins. You are only oppressing them further. I do think there is some truth to this. We need to make it quite clear that self-denial doesn't mean that the weak should simply submit to their oppressors. We need to make it quite clear that there is no place for the abuse or marginalization of anyone, especially because of gender, race, or sexual orientation. But we also need to remind everyone that being a victim of poverty, racism, sexism, and the like does not make you righteous. There is a huge movement whose very existence is based in large part on the need to maintain the victim status and therefore the righteousness of people based on race, gender, sexual orientation, and disability. We need to listen well and be sensitive to their claims, but nonetheless declare the gospel that no one is made righteous through their own suffering, but only through the suffering of Christ. Remember, Renunciation is ultimately about putting yourself in a right spiritual stance before God and others. It gives us the freedom to suffer for the kingdom of God, but it doesn't obligate us to suffer for the sake of someone else's pleasure. Rebellion against God comes easily to all peoples, both to the rich and poor alike. Therefore, the most oppressed people, along with their oppressors, all need to take up their crosses and deny themselves. The Christian Grace and Identity Movement poses another challenging question to self-denial. This movement focuses on what God has done for us in Christ. It majors on who we are as beloved sons and daughters and all the benefits and blessings we have in Christ. However, you won't see much emphasis in the Grace and Identity Movement on the need to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and suffer for the cause of Christ. This movement has so much to offer, but it borders on heresy through its neglect of so much scriptural teaching. We need to envision and understand grace and identity in harmonious relationship with the hard discipleship sayings. We dare not attempt to live the sacrificial life that Jesus calls us to without the experience of his abiding presence and the joy and power of his spirit. According to the author of Hebrews, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even Jesus didn't go to the cross without being empowered by joy. So, along with the cross, we need to continually emphasize the infilling of the Spirit, the resurrection, the abundant life, the presence of God, the joy of the Lord, his prosperity, creativity, and the fullness of life. We don't take part in all this renunciation, discipline, sacrificial love, and cross-bearing without being solidly grounded in God's goodness and presence and empowered by the Spirit through a rich life of worship and prayer. And 
all this dare only take place in close relationship to the family of God. And there is more on Jesus as teacher. Jesus says in Matthew 10.35 that it is enough for students to be like their teachers. Well, if Jesus is a teacher, then we need to be teachers in some shape or form. Do the things Jesus did. The world expects any Christian to be able to tell them about the way of Christ. Teaching is not to be left only to those gifted in teaching any more than evangelism is to be left only to those with a gift in evangelism. Throughout the Gospels, there are many words from Jesus to his disciples saying, Go and preach the Gospel. Go heal the sick and go cast out demons. There are far fewer references to go and teach. However, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus makes the priority of teaching clear. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We are called to be learners and teachers, and that means disciplined practices of study. We need regular Bible study, not just devotional Bible reading. We need to be acquainted with all sorts of Christian reference works that help us understand the kinds of questions people are asking. If we are to make disciples of all nations and teach them everything Jesus commanded, we need to be knowledgeable about Christ's teaching. And we have to be aware of the questions people have. We have to understand where these people and their questions are coming from, both in their cultural and personal situations. We need to listen to the scriptures, listen to the various cultures we collide with, and listen to the individuals we meet. It is as simple as this. You are having a meaningful conversation with your neighbor Joe, and you say, Hey Joe, if you don't mind talking about it, I would love to hear what you think about spirituality and religion and God and that sort of thing. And then a little bit later into the conversation, Hey Joe, what are the two or three things that are the hardest to believe about Christianity? All of a sudden you are a teacher. You are hearing Joe's complaints and grievances and disbelief and ultimately questions about the Christian faith and you are coming up with responses that make sense. Plus, the vast majority of people are just recycling the same basic 20 questions or objections, which makes things a lot easier to prepare for. Books on apologetics or defending the Christian faith are so important here. In Matthew 28, Jesus calls all his disciples to be teachers in the context of making disciples. That is, when we have spiritual discussions and share our faith. Of course, there are many other things besides misunderstanding the biblical message that keep people away from the faith, but we can play a huge role in people coming to faith if we can help remove several of their intellectual objections to following Jesus. Even just to answer one question can be so significant. Jesus is the master teacher. Jesus has taught us, but Jesus has also called us. The Spirit has empowered us and the church is equipping us. Let's go out and follow the master teacher and teach the way of the gospel and of the kingdom. I'm Dennis Metzler and you've been listening to The Charge. We've got a lot more podcasts, so please check them out. Peace to everyone.